You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled, What's in a Name? Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. Have you ever wondered about some passages in the Bible where we're encouraged to worship God's name rather than worship God himself? I imagine many of you have heard the Lord's Prayer. This prayer is a model of how we should pray. The disciples came to Jesus one day and asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And that's from Luke 11, 1. This, then, is the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. And you can find the Lord's Prayer in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, and also in Luke 11, verses 2 to 4. Why would Jesus say, Hallowed be your name, instead of saying, You, Father, are holy? What does that word, hallowed, mean? It means sacred or holy. God's name is holy because he is holy. God's name is a reflection of his character. Just as people understand what you are like when they think or speak of you, so it is with God. Here's an example. What does the name Adolf mean to you? Or here, try another one. What do you think of if I said Jezebel? You probably thought of evil people who are prepared to harm others in order to pursue their own wicked intentions. You probably thought that these two were horrible, nasty people. That's because a name is not just a word. It represents something. In one of my dictionaries is an appendix which gives many male and female common names with the meanings of those names. My own name, Leonard, means as brave as a lion. Do you know what your name means? A name is more than just a word. It's a symbol, a descriptor of a person. The name represents you. Because God is mighty, powerful, holy and good, we need to respect him by respecting his name. The third of the Ten Commandments is about respecting God's name. You can find it in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, which says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
You know, I hate hearing people say, Oh my God! Or saying Jesus Christ or cripes or gee and similar words or expressions relating to God and denigrating his holy character. And if you're in the habit of saying such things, I suggest you desist from doing that because in doing it, you insult God. This reminds me of a story my father told me. It happened in the mid-north town in South Australia, Jamestown, where I was born. At that time in South Australia, hotel bars closed at 6pm. So many drinkers would go to the pub to have a few drinks straight after they knocked off from work each weekday at about 5. That time of day was known as the five o'clock swill. On one occasion, the drinkers in one of the pubs in Jamestown were having a rowdy argument about the existence of God. One of the semi-inebriated drinkers, and I think his name was Chick Whidden, brashly announced, Ah, if there is a God, let him strike me dead. <laughs> he figured that he would continue to live, thus proving that God did not exist. But Chickwidden suddenly fell to the floor, dead as a doornail. He was so dead, and the other drinkers in the pub were awestruck. I imagine they were extremely careful after that incident about how they used God's name. Exodus chapter 34 records an incident that occurred when Moses, the leader of the Israelites on their journey from Egypt to Canaan, was given the Ten Commandments on stone tablets. And I'll read to you from Exodus 34, verses 4 to 8. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets, like the first ones, and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, saying, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Question. Why did the Lord proclaim his name? You may have noticed that the Lord proclaimed his name by describing what he was like, giving a list of his characteristics. They were compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, loving, faithful, maintaining love to many, forgiving and punishing the wicked. In case you're still wondering about how a name is so significant, I want to use an analogy related to cars. What does the name Rolls-Royce mean to you? Of course, 
you probably realise Rolls-Royce cars are very expensive. They're reliable, comfortable and well-built. What then does the name Tata mean to you? Well, Tata cars are made in India. They are cheap, small, economical to run and simple with few, if any, luxuries. Names are tags, referring to people or products, giving a mental image and identifier of something or someone. Elephant. You have a mental picture of a large greyish animal that is much larger than yourself. Crocodile. You have a picture of a reptile. Dangerous. Lives in water as well as land. But now I want to deal with another aspect of names. This relates to people's surnames. No doubt you'd be aware of names like Johnson, Thompson, Richardson and Jackson. Those names are derived from the Old English meaning son of John, son of Tom, son of Richard and son of Jack. The name refers to the father through the son. When someone becomes a Christian, that person takes on the name of Christ. Just like Jack's son, Christian refers to Christ. Another way of understanding this is that Christian means little Christ or follower of Christ, just as duckling refers to the adult, the duck. Because I am a Christian, that means I refer to and I am to be a reference for Christ. Therefore, people should be able to see Christ in me. My character and characteristics should be those of Christ, my God, and my example. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verses 22 to 25. He said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The characteristics that a Christian should have are to be the same as that of Christ, our Saviour. Christ is loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle and self-controlled. So Christians should also be. Do you realise that you are known, in other words, your character is revealed by what you say and do. God's character is revealed through his law, the Ten Commandments. You can find those commandments in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. The commandments teach 
that it is right and proper to recognize God over and above anybody or anything else. They teach that it is an insult to the highest being of the universe, that's God, to worship any lesser form of life or any representation of anything he has made. In other words, it is proper to recognize God as the creator and to worship him who has created rather than what has been created. The commandments teach that we should use God's name honorably. They teach that in recognizing God as our creator and provider, and that we should honor him by laying aside the last day of the week for him in communion, worship and prayer. They teach that it is right and proper to give honour to our parents for their care, love and discipline in preparing us to be considerate, responsible citizens. They teach us to respect the lives of others. They teach us to respect the property and belongings of others. They teach us that what we say should always, without exception, be the truth. They teach us to be content with what we have and avoid being jealous of what others may have. So, is there anything wrong with those laws? No, nothing whatever. They are, as the Apostle Paul has proclaimed in Romans seven twelve. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Why would anyone want to discard a good law, law like that? And yet, many so-called Christians claim that God dispensed with that good set of laws at Calvary. Now, we're going to stop and I'll go on with this straight afterwards. What would you do If Jesus came To spend some time with you If Jesus came to your house To spend a day or two If he came unexpectedly I wonder what you'd do When you saw him coming Would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you need to change some things before you let him in? Like burn some magazines and maybe put the Bible where they've been. Could you let Jesus walk right in or would you rush about to hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Oh, I know that you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest. And all the food that you would serve to him would be the very best. And you'd keep assuring him that you were glad to have him there. That serving him in your home was joy beyond compare. But would your family conversation keep up its normal pace? Would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends? Or would you hope they stayed away until his visit ends? 
Would you take him with you everywhere that you'd plan to go? Or maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when finally he had gone? You know, it might be interesting to know the things you'd do if Jesus came in person to spend some time with you. What would you do? What would you do if Jesus came to spend some time with you? Just before the break, I was saying to you that many Christians claim that God dispensed with the Ten Commandments at Calvary. But I want you to know that the Ten Commandments have never been discarded. They stand forever. They are still binding and they apply to you whether you are a Christian or not. They have not been done away with. What was done away with was the ceremonial law regarding sacrifices. Because when Jesus died for our sins, he was the sacrifice of sacrifices negating the need for animal sacrifices any longer. The Ten Commandments are an expression of God's character. By them you can get an idea of what God is like. God is, as is said in Psalm 18 verse 30, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. And that being the case, the psalmist was also able to say, as is recorded in Psalm 19, verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. People determine who you are and what your character is like by what you say and do. God's character is revealed by his name and by what he does, and by what he says. A great proclamation of God's character is through his law, the Ten Commandments. So then, why is it that many people end their prayers, like I do, by saying, in Jesus' name, Amen? Firstly, To pray in Jesus' name is an affirmation of our intention to do his will. Secondly, to pray in Jesus' name expresses a desire to glorify him rather than ourselves. To pray is to enter into the presence of God, to step boldly into his throne room, To linger deliberately in his presence is to allow God to transform your character into something more Christ-like. When you pray for those who wrong you, you are learning to think like Jesus and see the world the same way he does. To pray in Jesus' name assumes you intend to be like Jesus. 
In the book of Psalms 61 verse 3 and Proverbs 18 verse 10 are two similar statements about the name of the law. And I'll read Proverbs 18.10 for you from the New International Version of the Bible. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. By the name of the law, sorry, Lord, includes the attributes and perfections of God by which he is made known. These are the strength and security of his people. His goodness, grace and mercy are their defence. His favour encompasses them about as a shield. His justice protects them from injuries and insults. His truth and faithfulness preserve them. They are kept by his power. What a strong tower is to them against an enemy outside is the power, strength and the might of Christ to his people. As a divine person, he is strong and mighty, the most mighty, the almighty. As mediator, he has all power in heaven and earth. In him is everlasting strength for his people. That does not include those who are self-righteous because they run from Christ and his righteousness. Those who see that their own righteousness does not justify them and who recognize that they are sinners go to Christ who receives them. These are righteous through the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. Do you realize that Christ's name as recorded in the Bible has 200 variations? Here are just a few. Advocate, Alpha, Emmanuel, Good Shepherd, Jehovah Jireh, Redeemer, Adonai, Jehovah, Truth, The Word, The Vine. What do these names mean? Well, advocate is he who speaks and acts in our favour. 1 John 2 1. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Alpha is the equivalent of the English letter A in the Greek alphabet. Revelation 1 11. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. That's further explained in John 1, 1 and 3, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Emmanuel, Matthew 1, 23. Here an angel was speaking to Joseph about Jesus. You shall call him Emmanuel for he shall save his people from their sins. Jehovah Jireh. This name means the God who provides. Just as he provided yesterday, he will also provide today and tomorrow. He grants deliverance from sin, the oil of joy for the ashes of sorrow, and eternal citizen in his kingdom 
for all those adopted into his household. What about the name Adonai? Adonai is a name given to baby boys. The name means God is my Lord. You know, I think I would have loved it if my parents named me Adonai. And then we have the vine. In John 15, verses announced to his followers, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You know, we could go on a lot longer about the names of the Lord, but before ending today, I'd like to give you a summary of this program. Firstly, God's name represents his character. Secondly, we should be careful about how we use God's holy name. We should use it reverently and not carelessly. Number three, God's character is expressed in his law, the Ten Commandments, and also by what he did to save lost sinners. Number four, God's name as used at the end of the prayer shows a desire of the supplicant to do God's will and secondly to glorify God rather than ourselves. Number five, as Christians we take on Christ's name. Let us demonstrate it and not defile it. Number six, God's name has many variations, each one representing a different aspect of God. Well, finally today, I wish to share verses 3 to 5 from Psalm 105 about God's name. And here's what it says. Celebrate and worship his holy name with all your heart. Trust the Lord and his mighty power. Remember his miracles and all his wonders and his fair decisions. So then, until next time, I wish you the blessings of God as you take on his name for yourself.